You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. But let's pray as we come to look at Psalm 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Psalms and we pray you be with us as we open it up today and begin exploring uh, these, these wonderful uh, poems and songs written by your people uh, that can be used now by your people as we praise you. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you, I find writing sermon introductions very hard. Usually I have my big idea sorted out, so I've kind of got the main points I want to make, the application, the, the flow, and then I get stuck on the introduction. I often leave it till the very end, the last thing that I do. Because I want to come up with something that sets the tone for the rest of the sermon, that, that draws you in and gives you an idea of where we're going as we explore this passage that's before us. I want it to be catchy and interesting and clever. It's a lot of pressure. So imagine the pressure I would feel if I had to introduce the whole book of Psalms. There are 150 Psalms covering a whole range of topics and they are among the most beloved parts of the Bible. In fact, this book, which we can also call the Psalter, has Psalms that have been gathered together in five individual books that have been compiled over hundreds of years. There isn't just one single author, rather there's a a range of psalmists who've composed them. King David, he wrote about half of them, but there are many other psalmists. It's a big, varied book. How can I possibly write something worthy of what follows? How can I make sure that I get people's attention? Well, thanks be to God, and fortunately for all of you, that job wasn't given to me. Someone else has already done this job, and they did a really good job. Psalm 1 is that introduction. We don't know exactly who wrote Psalm 1. It's anonymous. And it may not look like much, just six verses, but it touches on themes that are relevant to all of us. It speaks of blessing and how to prosper. It speaks of justice and the wicked being brought to account. It speaks of how God treats those who are righteous. It speaks of life and death and the role of God's word. And it all comes together in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So there are two ways to live, two paths for us to walk. And we must choose wisely. The book of Psalms helps us to understand these paths and shows us how it's only by trusting in God that we can be numbered among the righteous who will be blessed. The Psalms also show us that the daily experience of the righteous is actually pretty up and down. There's exhilarating highs and then depressing lows. But that actually gives us insight into what it actually means for God to watch over the way of the righteous. It doesn't mean that every day will be amazing, but God will always be watching over us. These are such important themes and concepts that Psalm 1 introduces us to. And if that's not enough, there's also an illustration about a tree for those who kind of like to use their imagination and picture things. We'll get to that as well. It's an awesome introduction. A much better job than I would have been able to do. So, let's get on with it. Let's look at Psalm 1. And I want to show you today that the righteous are blessed 
through meditating on the law of the Lord. The word righteous doesn't appear until verse 6, but it's pretty clear that the whole psalm is describing the righteous person. This is the blessed one. And so what does the righteous one do to receive blessings? Well, first of all, he or she doesn't join with the wicked. Have a look at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There's a progression here of identifying with sinful people. You know, it could be a picture of slowing down, you know, from walking to standing to sitting. But we shouldn't think of standing in the way of sinners as being about stationary. It's more about aligning your life with them, with their way, with their path. But there is still a progression here of increasing association or identification with unrighteous people. To walk in step with the wicked is to listen to their advice and then to follow it. It's like when someone at work or school says to you, come on, you can just cheat this once, how can it hurt? And you take their advice. Maybe you cheat on a test or an exam or you claim someone else's work to be your own work. To stand in the way that sinners take is not just to listen to them but to associate with them. It's like when you start telling yourself, well, come on, it can't hurt if I cheat just this once. And finally, to sit in the seat of mockers is to join with them in giving bad counsel to other people. It's like when we start saying to those at work or at school, come on, you can cheat just this once, how can it hurt? And the mockers are doubly wicked because not only do they lead people astray, they mock and scoff at those who try to do the right thing. You can picture it, can't you? You know, they're the people who sit at the back of the classroom or the meeting room and they, they whisper and laugh about those who are trying to pay attention and do the right thing. You know, they're mockers. They ridicule the path of righteousness. The righteous one doesn't join in with the wicked. She distances herself from them so that she isn't pulled down to their level. Well, that's what the righteous one doesn't do. But what about what he or she does do? We'll have a look at verse 2. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night? So rather than finding joy and delight in associating with sin and sinners, they find it in the law of the Lord. Now that might seem a bit odd because most of us tend not to get excited about rules and laws and regulations. Well, the precise Hebrew here is the word Torah, which can mean more than regulations. It's instruction and guidance. It includes God's wisdom on how to live a good life. This is why the righteous man or woman finds delight in the law of the Lord. It's the life-giving guidance given by God to his people. So even the rules can bring delight because the righteous person can read them and learn about God. Learn about God's holiness. Learn about the way to live in a right relationship with God. Rather than listening to the counsel of the wicked, the righteous one listens to God. They meditate on the Torah day and night. This is why they are blessed. The psalmist then goes on to say what it looks like to be blessed. Have a look at verse 3. 
That person is, a, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is a wonderful picture of the blessed life. The one who doesn't join with the wicked and who meditates on the law of the Lord will be like a fruitful and prosperous tree. Now, we all know that trees need water, right? We can agree with that. And in countries like Israel that have a lot of desert regions, a tree may only have rain a few times a year. Without enough water, it can't bear fruit. It might lose its leaves. It can survive, but barely. It's not prospering. But a tree planted by a stream is always nourished. It can bear fruit in the right season. Its leaves will always be hydrated and so they won't wither. This is a picture of prosperity. The tree has all the resources that it needs to be a good and fruitful tree. Even when storms or droughts come, it stands strong because it draws water from the life-giving stream. And it's the same with the righteous person, the one who meditates on the law of the Lord. They have the resources needed to be a good and fruitful human. Well, the next part of the blessing is that he or she will stand in the assembly of the righteous at the judgment. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. By looking at how the wicked are treated, we can assume that the opposite is true of the blessed person. You see, the wicked aren't fruitful trees. Instead, they are like chaff. The chaff is the, the light, husky part of wheat. Now, to separate out the grain from the chaff, the Israelites would toss it all up in the air and the grain would fall back down because it's heavier, but the chaff would blow away in the wind. The wicked are transient, lightweight. They're destined to be swept away, to be blown away. So they won't stand in the judgment. If you think of God's end-time judgment as being like a great wind, then the righteous will stand firm like a tree, but the wicked will be blown away like chaff. And so they won't remain in the assembly of the righteous. The righteous person, on the other hand, will stand in the assembly, in the gathering of God's people on the day of judgment. They'll remain steadfast. They will avoid the wrath of God. Let's just take a step back for a moment. What we're seeing here is that Psalm 1 is kind of like a lens for reading the whole book of Psalms. The blessed person meditates on the law of the Lord, such as the other 149 Psalms found in this book. And as we meditate on these words, we learn how to live the blessed life. We should read expectantly to learn about righteousness and blessedness and God's faithfulness. We can approach the book of Psalms as a book of wisdom where God holds out promises to us. Now, these are not guarantees because that's not how wisdom literature works, but they're promises that call us to weigh carefully the two paths that are set out before us and to persevere on the path of righteousness, even when it's difficult or dark, or disorientating. 
And then when that path is blessed and bright and bountiful, we can give thanks to God rather than claiming credit for ourselves. So Psalm 1 is a lens for reading the Psalter. Psalm 2 is another lens, but we'll talk about that next week. We have a picture here of a blessed person who is like a fruitful tree. They are separated from the wicked. They meditate constantly on the scriptures. This is the righteous person, the righteous one. But who is the righteous one? Well, to be totally blunt with you, it's not us. It's not me, it's not you. Can you honestly say that you don't ever listen to wicked or poor counsel? That you don't stand in the way of sinners? That you never mock others? And as we consider our own hearts, we realise that sinfulness, wickedness, rebellion is not something that's kind of out there. It's actually we find it within our own hearts too. And so even if we consider other people, whether we're going to associate with them or not, we can't separate from ourselves. And also, can you honestly say that you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, finding great delight in it? None of us can keep these standards. That's kind of the point. You see, they make us examine ourselves and realise we don't measure up. We can have good days where we're doing well and it's certainly imperative that we strive to live this way, to walk this way, but we fall short. And so these standards drive us back to God and in desperation we cry out for help. And as we read through Psalm 1, we will realise that we aren't the righteous one. We aren't the blessed one. So who is? Well, maybe you know where this is going. It's Jesus Christ. Is that what you're thinking? I mean, it makes sense, right? He didn't walk, stand or sit in the way of the wicked, the sinners or the mockers. The wicked Satan counselled Jesus to take control of the world by force, but Jesus resisted him. Jesus, he ate with sinners, didn't he? But he never embraced their lifestyles. He never imitated their sinful ways. Jesus didn't mock his opponents, even when he was mocked. Also, Jesus did meditate on the law of the Lord. You know that story when he was 12 and he went with his parents to Jerusalem and they couldn't find him and where was he? Well, he was in the temple courts speaking with the teachers of the law and they were amazed at his understanding and his knowledge of the scriptures because he'd been meditating on the scriptures. Who is the righteous one? It's Jesus. And the good news is that because of Jesus, we too can become righteous through union with him. This means that we put our trust in him and then we are joined to him and so all of the good things that he has done become our things too. We share in them. We become righteous because Jesus walked the path of righteousness yet he also died the death of the wicked. The first thing to understand is that Jesus perished so that we might be forgiven. Look again at verse (coughs) 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is about judgment. 
God will judge the wicked and they'll be blown away like chaff. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't perishing for his own wickedness, he was perishing for our wickedness. God the Father in heaven poured out his just, settled anger on his son and so Jesus was swept away. He was blown away by the wrath of God. The punishment that was rightly ours was taken willingly by him. And so now all who put their trust in Jesus, the truly righteous man, will be forgiven. But here's the thing. It's not enough to simply be forgiven. That just makes you neutral. It means that our sins are removed, but to be righteous, to be seen as righteous by God, you need to obey his law, you need to do the right thing. And so Jesus didn't just earn forgiveness for us on the cross, he also earned righteousness for us. He lived the blessed life of obedience to God. He, he walked the path. And when he died on the cross, not only did our sins go unto him, but his righteousness became available for us. It was a switch, a double transference. Imagine you've been invited to a party. And it's a pretty fancy one. You're told that only people who've dressed up really nicely can enter into the house for the party. So you put on your best jacket. It's got a couple of holes in it, a couple of stains, but they're mostly on the inside and you're kind of expecting you better get away with it. You can sneak in. On your way to the party, you stop off for a coffee because that's what you do and you're driving along and you spill some of the coffee on yourself. And, like, it's a very pleasing aroma, right? We can agree with that, but some unwanted stains on your jacket now. It's not looking good. You arrive at the party, get out of the car, you're texting one of your friends about this amazing party you're going to and a dog comes out of nowhere, you trip over the dog, you land flat on your face in the mud and as you go to stand up, you realise the dog left a little surprise for you. So you get to the house and there's no way they're letting you in. Your jacket is filthy, it's disgusting, not a chance. And then along comes Jesus and he's wearing his best jacket and it is immaculate, the design is incredible, it's radiant. You never knew that clothes could be so radiant. And Jesus sees you, he takes pity on you and he says, here, let's swap. So it's not just that he takes your jacket away from you with all of the stains and blemishes on it, but he gives you his perfect jacket. You are then allowed into the party and Jesus is not. And because his jacket is so amazing, you are treated as the guest of honour. That's how special it is. At the cross, there's a switch, a double transference. Jesus bears the punishment for our wickedness and we receive the righteousness that he has earned and the benefits that go with it. We are welcomed into God's family and seen as his beloved child who has always obeyed, always done the right thing. And we receive this by faith. It's simply just by saying sorry to God, trusting in Jesus, trusting that you will be forgiven and God will then declare you to be righteous. How amazing is that? And so any fruitfulness that we have as Christians is based on our unity with Jesus. Do you remember John 15 we looked at earlier this year? This is verse 5, which Jesus spoke to his disciples. 
He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that the way for us to do good deeds that please God, the way for us to be fruitful is for us to be united to him by faith. And so we can connect this picture of a grapevine and its branches with the picture of a tree planted by a stream of water in Psalm 1. Jesus is the blessed man. He's like a tree by the water. He prospers, he bears fruit, he pleases God. And if we put our trust in Jesus and we become united to him, he then gives us the strength by his spirit to produce good fruit too. It's like we're branches and he's the vine or the trunk. So once we are connected to Jesus by faith, we are seen as righteous by God And then in union with Jesus, we can begin to live the righteous life. This is the life that will lead to us growing in blessedness. Let's be clear here. In Psalm 1, being blessed is not the same as being righteous. See, blessedness is about happiness, fulfilment, contentment. Righteousness is a once-off declaration from God. Blessedness is something that we can grow in as we walk the path of righteousness. So if you're a Christian, you are righteous right now. And with the help of Jesus, you can walk, or you can live a blessed life. So to see how you can do that, we need to go back to the start of the psalm. And you may have noticed this is the third time we're going to read through Psalm 1. I've actually found this to be a helpful method in reading the psalms. It doesn't work for all of them. For many of them it does. And it shows us that it's Only as God's people can we live a new life. So our first reading is about connecting the psalm to ourselves. We read through and we see the standard that's set by God, what he expects of his people. We see that we can't meet that standard and so we're convicted of our sinfulness. We then read through the psalm a second time and see how Jesus met that standard in his life. We see that the psalm's really about him and not about us. And so that drives us to look away from ourselves and to look to him. We put our trust in Jesus, the perfect and blessed man. And then we go for our third and final reading. We read it as Christians who are united to Jesus by faith. And so in him we can begin to live the righteous life. We can begin to aspire to the standards of God. We can begin to attain some of the rich blessings that God offers to those who obey him. So reading one convicts us of our failures. Reading two points us to Jesus as our saviour. And reading three is about the life that God's people can live as they trust in Jesus. So let's get on with reading three now. Verse one says that the path to blessedness involves not joining with the wicked, which means those who aren't part of God's people. That's not to say that Christians are perfect. We know we're not perfect. We don't always do the right thing. It's not to say that, you know, people who aren't Christians are somehow totally evil in everything they do. Remember, this is kind of poetry. It's creating a picture in our mind that the psalmist is trying to make a contrast. See, there are those who don't know God, who don't listen to him and who don't follow his ways. They are on a different path. So to be able to listen to God, we need to make sure that we're not joining with the wicked. We need to be mindful of the company that we keep. You know the saying, bad company corrupts good character. 
It's a quote from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. It's a good point to remember that Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's not black and white commands. Rather, it's getting us to think about the big picture, to think about our attitudes, our conduct, our mindset. We're not being told here to separate from all unbelievers, because after all, Jesus himself hung out with sinners. But he didn't listen to their counsel. He didn't copy their habits. He didn't sit and mock with them. And so in the same way, we need to be careful who we listen to, who we associate with in terms of who do we identify with. I mean, where do you get your ideas of right and wrong from? Where do you get your beliefs about God and the afterlife and what the good life looks like? Is it from TV and Twitter and Taylor Swift? Or is it from the Bible? I hope that it's from the Bible. Verse 2 then shows us the main way to grow in blessedness is to meditate on the law of the Lord. It's that word Torah, it's God's life-giving guidance that he gives to his people. This comes back again to how Psalm 1 is an introduction to the Psalter. The Psalms contain songs and poems which give us words for expressing ourselves to God. But they also give us guidance on how to live the blessed life, to, to live a life in obedience to God. And so surely that's a pretty good motivation to be meditating on the Bible day and night. In fact, I asked uh, someone to do some artwork for me. There it is. Uh, to depict this idea of kind of reading the scriptures, how meditating on the Bible, that kind of that moment between you and God's word is like being that fruitful tree by a stream. And I thought it'd be appropriate for us to have this picture up here because the Psalms are meant to inspire the imagination, to inspire creativity. These shouldn't just be dry books that we study intellectually. They're actually getting us to think about our music, our art. So I hope that's helpful. And so first of all, when we come to think about the Bible and how can we meditate on it, we need to be regular in our Bible reading. Maybe have a, a set time if that's something that's useful for you. We also need to be training ourselves to think about reading the Bible. You know, when you have that quiet moment in the day, you pull out your phone, do you turn to social media, check your emails, or do you actually think about the Bible? I mean, how many swipes or presses does it take to get to your Bible app on your phone? It should be easy to access, right? So in those quiet moments, we can be meditating. We want to be building habits so that when we don't read our Bible for a while, we notice it, we miss it. It needs to be regular. But not just regular, we also need to meditate on the Word of God. We actually need to engage with what we're reading, think about it, reflect on it. You know, there are times when it's good just to read a whole big chunk of the Bible or listen to an audio Bible, but we can't always just do it that way. Sometimes we need to focus in on something. Otherwise, we'll forget what we're reading. Psalm 1 is reminding us that the Psalter is not something to dip into like a bag of mixed lollies. You know, you kind of rummage around, pull out one, go, that was nice, and I'll try another one tomorrow. Actually, spend some time thinking about it, meditating. It takes hard work. You could start by using a devotion book or a Bible study book, one that has questions for you to reflect on. You could use the Explore Daily Bible Reading app, which if anyone asks me for recommendations, that's my number one recommendation. So make sure you download that, the Explore Daily Bible Reading app. These things can help you to reflect on the passage that you're looking at. You could even read some commentaries, hear what experts have to say. 
But it's not just understanding the Bible, it's learning the Bible and letting the words soak into you, into your mind. Maybe try memorising. Do some journaling, write out verses, stick verses up around your room, recite them over and over. You can meditate on a verse throughout the day, turning it over in your mind. You could talk to someone else about what you've been learning. If you're not sure how to get started, then please do come and speak to me. I've got lots of resources and things I'd love to share with you about that. And finally, we need to find delight in the Bible. And this does take hard work. The psalmist says the blessed one finds his delight in the Torah. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about reading the Bible, delight is not the key word that comes to my mind. It can sometimes feel like a chore. It can feel like a struggle to read and understand a passage. Because that's just my sinful heart trying to control me. It's a bit like eating vegetables. I hated them when I was a kid. But through lots of patience from my mum in particular and a bit of my own hard work, I actually enjoy them now. And I find that when I haven't had a good dose of vegetables, I feel sluggish and I miss them. In fact, the last two weeks of holidays, there's been lots of eating out and treat food. And I said to Tracy, I just want to have some vegetables for dinner tonight. As a kid, I never thought I'd say something like that. But here it is, I delight in vegetables. And I promise you, the Bible is so much better than vegetables. And so the delight in it is so much greater. But it can take time. That's part of the illustration about a tree. You see, a well-watered tree bears fruit in the right season. We too will bear fruit if we persevere in our Bible reading, but in the right season, not straight away. And as we grow in our delight in the Bible, as we see fruit in our lives, we'll find Bible reading is easier and easier. So there you have it. Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Psalter. It tells us that the path of righteousness is described in the Psalms with all the ups and downs that go along with it. It takes effort and hard work to walk this path, but we do it together. We do it in faith. And we can only begin this journey if we've trusted in Jesus, the blessed one who's paved the way and made it possible. We can only become righteous by trusting in him. This then opens up the blessed life and we grow in this life by meditating on the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for the book of Psalms, these 150 compositions of bursting with your wisdom so that we can love you better and live well in this world. They also point us to Jesus, the blessed man, the righteous man, who has opened the way to true everlasting life. Father, as we study these psalms in the coming weeks, please open our hearts and minds to the joys and delights of these ancient songs, of these powerful poems. May each one of us meditate on them and see the path of righteousness that you set before us, the path that we can freely and joyfully walk because Jesus has made the way. Amen.